Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, Uh, This is me telling you, you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse and that is the navigator series now they have the women's windrows they have the men's windrows and then they have the atlas the atlas series within that as well so go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have i've been using mine for a couple weeks now and i am very impressed with the the fit and the feel and i can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run so lacrossefootwear.com check them out My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting, the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bears. This episode of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast, I am at the Arkansas Game and Fish Regional Headquarters in Fort Smith, Arkansas with my friend Myron Means. Myron Means is the large carnivore biologist with the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. We talk a lot about that. We talk about bears. We nerd out about biology. We talk about the history of bears in Arkansas. And Myron has, well, the most unique perspective in this part of the country on bears because he's been working with them for most of his career one thing that we did not get into which i regret that we didn't 
is that formerly Myron was known as the bear biologist, the lead bear biologist in Arkansas. They changed his title to the large carnivore biologist because what other carnivore could we have that he would have oversight over in the state of Arkansas? The answer to that question, young men, is mountain lions. We actually have had enough legitimate sightings of mountain lions in Arkansas that the Game and Fish had to give them a hat tip. We actually have somebody in charge of mountain lions in Arkansas, and that's Myron. But we didn't talk about it. We got so sidetracked by bears that we never talked about it. And there's just been a handful, well, not just a handful. Every year there are confirmed sightings of mountain lions, and uh, that's going to be for another podcast. But you're going to learn something for sure on this podcast, and me and Myron have a have just a great conversation. I want to draw your attention to our good friends at the Western Bear Foundation. These guys are a nonprofit hunting conservation organization being a voice for bear hunters out west. I was just on their Facebook page, and they're a great resource for just all the information revolving the delisting and the listing of grizzlies in the greater Yellowstone uh, region. There's a, they've got a post on there right now about how the top, one of the top U.S. officials with the Fish and Wildlife Service has made a statement that the grizzly bear is recovered and relisting is a waste of resources, quote unquote. I'm reading this right off of their Facebook page. These guys are a great source for information. Check them out on Instagram and Facebook, our friends at the Western Bear Foundation. Lastly, we just came out with our fifth season of Bear Horizon. So Bear Horizon is our video series where we travel across North America chasing bear and chasing other critters too, whitetails, squirrels, you know, pretty much whatever whatever we can find. But we, we came out with our fifth DVD, which it's uh, close to two hours in length and has at least eight or ten episodes. How many episodes we got, Colby? Eight or ten. I'm getting a head nod from Colby. Very cool DVD that you could take with you. Anyway, they're they're for sale on the Bear Honey Magazine website, bear-hunting.com. Hey, you're going to enjoy this podcast with my friend and Arkansas Game and Fish, large carnivore biologist Myron Means. Is this the... Uh... Is this a regional office? Fort yes. Smith Regional Office? Fort Smith Regional Office, yeah. Yeah. Boy, this is a nice facility. It is. We just finished this about a year ago. So. Yeah. I hadn't been here. I thought y'all were still over on the river over there. Or over, over on the base, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember where it I was. I think we moved into this office last June. So Okay. Well, hey, I'm here with Myron Means. The large carnivore biologist is that your is that your official that title? That is Myron? the official title now. Large carnivore program coordinator for Arkansas large carnivore. Okay, well, Myron, you may not remember this. I remember the first time I talked to you. Yep, I you, you had just you had just gotten the job mm-hmm. at the time as just the Arkansas bear biologist. That's correct. And uh, so Rick Eastridge had moved off. Mm-hmm. You got hired. I think it was two thousand eight. Yes, it was in the December of 2008, actually, when I officially took the position. It, it had to have been right in that time period because that I, I called you and interviewed you, 
and I had one of the first published articles I ever wrote published in Arkansas Sportsman or some magazine, and I was yep. talking about bears. So That's I don't right. remember if you, I, I vividly I remember that. I do. I remember it was seems like a lifetime ago, but uh, so you've been doing this since December two thousand eight. I've been in this capacity of this position, yeah, since the fall of two thousand eight. Uh, I'm actually in my 23rd year with Arkansas Game and Fish this year. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> oddly enough, you know, I've told people when I do seminars and stuff, I've actually worked with bears in Arkansas longer than I've been employed with Game and Fish. Okay. I worked with bears uh, two years in undergraduate and graduate work. Okay. Worked and where'd you go to project. school? Uh, I went to Arkansas Tech for undergraduate work okay. wildlife in uh, Russellville. Yeah, wildlife fisheries and wildlife management. And then I went to graduate school at U of A Fayetteville. Okay. So you were working with bears while you were in college. That's right. In the 90s. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 90, uh, let's see, it was, no, it was, uh, when was it? 89, 88, 89, and 90. Did you work with Kim Smith and Joe Clark? Mm -hmm. Did you really? Now, see, you may have told me that, but I forgot it. I actually volunteered to work on the bear project my first year. Oh, okay. I didn't get hired on as a technician, but I wanted to work on the project so much I volunteered and I drove okay. back and forth from from Van Buren to Ozark oh, okay. two or three times a week just to volunteer and ride along with them. For a little bit of history for people <laughs> that are that wouldn't know. So the first official research project for Arkansas Black Bears was done in the late eighties, early nineties yep. by Kim Smith and Joe Clark. That's right. And that was this this is a good divergence into kind of the history of bears, but well, I, I don't want I want I want to hear you say it. These our listeners of this podcast hear me talk about Arkansas bears all the time. Yep, but it's worth talking about. It is. Why don't you lead us up? Because I was going to tell why they were doing the research project, right. but. Tell us the 25-year prior history that led to the reason that Kim Smith and these guys that you helped back then. Right. So give us an overview. Uh, well, you know, Arkansas used to be nicknamed the Bear State. I'm sure most of you listeners that are familiar with Arkansas know that we used to be nicknamed the Bear State. And that was with good reason. It was thought at the time of settlement we may have had 50,000-plus black bears in the state. Mm. Well, black bears were almost extirpated from the whole state <clears throat> through the – I guess the 17, 18, and 1900s. And, uh, you know, by the 1920s or so, it was pretty evident that we didn't really have any bears left in the state. And the General Assembly decided to make it illegal to kill a black bear in Arkansas. And, uh, you know, once the game and fish was actually kind of coming to their feet about management stuff. uh, Would that have been in 27, 1927? Yeah. When Game and Fish was became an official organization. Well, I mean, we we had our bicentennial celebration. What was it? Three, four, five years ago. I mean, the Game and Fish was actually established. Uh, I can't remember prior to that it was yeah prior to that, but there really wasn't much to it as an organization. You know, okay. the organization really didn't kind of get on their feet until the forties. Okay. Uh, and, you know, by 1951, there was a guy named Trustin Holder that did a land survey of the state, and his finding was that the only remaining bear population was in the lower White River drainage. Mm. 
and uh, thought we may have had 50 bears left in the state. All the forested areas, the Ozarks marsh talls had been cut over, uh, you know, for logging and everything else. And Game and Fish embarked on a historical reintroduction effort through a 10-year period from 1958 to 1968. They brought 254 bears from Minnesota and Manitoba, Canada, and they released them in sites in the Ozarks and Marshitals as a restocking area. Brought them down and yeah, pick just, up trucks and wire yeah, cages. Pick up trucks and wire cages and just kicked them out, basically. You know, I talked to a guy one time that met one of those guys on the road. Really? I'm, I'm serious. He wasn't yeah. even from Arkansas. It was a guy that called in to Bear Hunting Magazine. I still got his information because I wanted to call him back. An old guy called Bear Hunting Magazine. Yeah. And wow. he told a story of meeting Arkansas Game and Fish officials in the in the sixties at a gas station. Yeah. I can't remember where he's, he was it was like northern Missouri or you know, somewhere yeah. between here and Manitoba. And he talked to these guys, and they were like, yeah, we're taking these bears back to Arkansas. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I have a couple of pictures of those mm. days, uh, you know, a 60-something model pickup truck with right. a cage on the back of it and <clears throat> three bears in the back of it. Wow. But, I mean, it was literally just that off the cuff. M- Minnesota DNR would call us and say, hey, we've got three bears for you. Come get them. <laughs> and, you know, they'd drive up to Minnesota, northern Minnesota, and get them or wherever and bring them back. And, I mean, it was – and, you know, it was it was back before the computer age and all that stuff. And, you know, a lot of this reintroduction effort was really just – it was just done as just everyday stuff. If it was yeah. recorded on anything, it would have been recorded in someone's field journal yeah. or field notes, you know, or yeah. something like that, which more than likely went with that person when they retired. Right. So there's really not a lot of documentation that took place over this 10-year period, mm. you know. Do you know who would, was in charge at that time that would have said, let's do this? I believe it was Andrew Holsey. He would have been the director. If it was if it was prior to Andrew Holsey, I know he was the director when we brought the elk back in, and that was in the 70s. And... Uh, it might have been Hulsey. It could have been someone before then. It was so mm. far before my time, I'm not really sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, when they did reopen bear season in 1980, uh, I believe Steve Wilson was our director. Yeah. So, Sounds you know, right. that's, I mean, the, the forests were growing back up during that reintroduction effort. It was really prime habitat. There was no season on them you couldn't harvest them and i mean those bear populations in the ozarks and washitals they really just flourished i mean there was a lot of clear cut going on in the 70s and 80s that provided just a tremendous amount of food in the summer and then of course you always had the you know the uh hardwood areas in the washitals and the ozarks that provided all the fall mass so i mean really it was just unlimited food and that was a big part of the reintroduction is that the the forest had regenerated from the peak of the forestry harvest Mm -hmm. which would have been around the turn of the century that's what i've read i mean they were at the time of settlement you know i mean you know they clear cut every just about everything yeah yeah it was and i mean you know the 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 oak lumber went all over the world i mean you know uh so 
But that had those forests had had time to get some age back on them, and I mean, right. really, it was really prime habitat. I mean, yeah. there was a lot of controversy through controversy on the clear cuttings back in the seventies and eighties, and all that. But you know, really, that's probably one of the single most uh, important factors right. that, that allowed the that bear population to just boom. Yeah. Do you recall? I, I recall two of the locations they released bears they they released them in three locations one in the washtals in dry mm-hmm. creek yep dry creek wilderness yep and then the other one was on uh black mountain black mountain the which th- is now white rock wma okay and the third one i can't remember where the third one the third was. one i believe was over on piney creeks wma okay so those for for you those would be 75 80 miles apart i don't Roughly, know yeah something so i mean like kind that. of like three Mm-hmm. And and they were that was just like the the best places that they could figure that they could turn them loose. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I mean, who knows whether they all got released in the same spot? You know, like yeah. I say, there wasn't a lot of documentation. I mean, if if you'd just driven thirty hours on a round trip, <laughs> it was in the middle of the you night. might have just dropped the tailgate. <laughs> you may have just dropped the tailgate and kicked them out. Yeah. So uh, you know, but. Uh, you know, they dispersed out where they needed to be. And, you know, as I say, the population really just boomed. I'm sure reproduction was at its peak. Uh, you know, our average litter size now is roughly two cubs per litter. I wouldn't surprise me at all if we didn't see a lot of three and four cub litters back in those days. Is that because they would have, that they somehow biologically would have sensed that they were inside of a stressed population and needed to reproduce more? Like why? Well, why, just inside of an open population. I mean, okay. there's no restrictions on density dependent issues, or it's just unlimited food and unlimited okay. range, and so that would translate into bigger litter sizes. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Yeah. So that brings us back to your work when you were in the late '80s. So yeah. finally, after 25 years or 20 something years, mm-hmm. they said, "Hey." These bears are dispersing. There have been no scientific data gathered. No, there really hadn't, other than the fact that we just knew we were getting some bears. We knew we were getting a lot of bears. And so they opened up a season in 80, and then Mm -hmm. in like 1988, they said, hey, we better figure out how many bears we've actually got. Is that about right? That's pretty pretty well lit. I mean, you know, there had been enough work uh, on establishing population estimates through mark recaptures efforts and things like that and they were getting pretty good at it and uh but really i mean that's what prompted game and fish to initiate a study uh they worked on it in the ozarks uh for a couple of years and then the washtals a couple of years and it was basically a hard mark recapture study to give us baseline population so they had collared bears that they, they did have collared bears, males and females that they were, you know, doing uh, home range estimates on. They were doing reproduction estimates, recruitment estimates on the females, the same stuff that we're still doing today. <clears throat> and uh, it was really just kind of the whole ball of wax. It was population estimation. It was home range estimation. It was uh, reproduction recruitment or survival it was just really everything that we didn't know about our bear population all rode into one 
And it ended up being, you know, <clears throat> the information was good enough and sound enough that it lasted us, you know, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and we were able to kind of glean off of that and, you know, make a little bit of assumptions outside it, uh, you know, in the latter part of that 20 years. So uh, that's, you know, that's what I got started in when I was uh, when I was in undergraduate and graduate school. I was able to be a part of those studies. So you were just you were just a biologist for the Game and Fish then for – Mm-hmm. A I, while before 2008, when you became the bear biologist. Yeah, I was just a field biologist, and actually, uh, I actually started in Jonesboro for. Uh, that's when I started my career, and I was in Jonesboro for a year and a half, and then I moved back to the Russellville office, and from that point on, uh, you know, my predecessor, Rick, Rick Eastridge. Uh, <clears throat> The Ozarks was a really, really big part of our bear management or bear population, just like the Washtals was. And because uh, the entire, almost the entire northwest quarter of the state was in my region, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was kind of the go-to person for that region for bear work. Okay. And so back in when I moved from 97 to 98, I really didn't do much bear work in Jonesboro. But when I moved back to Russellville in 98, uh, I was basically, I was a nuisance bear coordinator for all northwest Arkansas. I was a field biologist in there. So, you know, I had the opportunity to be involved in every facet of the bear program, whether it be nuisance work, whether it be research capturing whether it be den surveys in the fall, bait station surveys, you know. Yeah. So, let let me ask you this: to so in in nineteen sixty eight, we had you know less than a couple hundred bears in the state. We'd brought <clears> them back in. In nineteen ninety, they figured we had twenty five hundred bears in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. how many how many do we have now, Myron? You know, really, honestly, if you look at the the revised population work that uh, AGFC did back in the early 2000s, you know, we found that uh, <clears throat> the end result in the Washtenaw stu- or the Ozark study was almost three times what the previous density estimate was from the 80s study. Okay, in the Washtenaws, it was almost double uh, what the previous estimate was. So, if you kind of take that information with a little bit of a grain of salt, understanding that the methods applied in the early 2000s were probably a lot more accurate than the methods that we applied in the late 80s. Okay. Late 80s, they were doing snares and ear tags and actual mark and recapture. Uh, and in now the we're 2000, doing... we're doing DNA analysis off hair traps. Okay. And <clears throat> so... Can you say, well, if we thought we had 2,500 then, you know, do we have four times that now? Well, uh, probably not that much. Uh, It's probably a little bit of the fact that, yes, we no doubt have more bears now. Uh, Do we have three times the amount of bears? Mm, Maybe. I mean, it's not an exact science. Yeah. So you have to take a little bit of a – I mean, there's a little bit of, uh, I guess – factoring that goes into it uh i think based on the information that we had you know 15 years ago or 12 years ago now 
I think we've probably have somewhere in the neighborhood of six thousand plus bears statewide. Okay. I mean, we've <clears throat> we obviously have bear populations in the Ozarks and Marchitals that continue to expand. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma continues to get more and more bears. You know, bears dispersing into Oklahoma. Our Gulf Coastal Plain of the state continues to get more bears as and bears dispersing out of the Washitals and Felsenthal and and places like there, that. What percentage of Arkansas would you say has bears right now? Do you have any idea? Seventy percent. Seventy percent of the counties in Arkansas would have had bear sightings. Uh, well, seventy percent of the land the coverage land of mass. the state. Yeah, okay. Arkansas has seventy-five counties, and I'm going to say there's probably. 60 counties in the state. Okay. So, okay. So even a higher percentage of actual counties. Yeah. See, that's, that seems like, I mean, heck, when I was a kid growing <laughs> up in the Washtals, I mean, there weren't bear, like I knew, I mean, just as a kid, where the line was where there weren't yeah. bears anymore. Because exactly. we deer hunted an hour south of Mina. Exactly. And there were no bears down there. Nope. You'd never see a bear down there. Never hear of a bear. People talked about, oh, wow, you guys are from up there. You got bears up there. And then now there's bears down there just as much as there were bears. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In- you know, I've seen the same thing up in the north part of the state. I mean, I've lived in I've lived in western Arkansas all my life, and I grew up hunting the Ozarks and hunting White Rock and hunting WMAs like that, that yeah. those parts of the national forest. Yeah. And I can remember, you know, as a teenager, even as an adult, and even as a, you know, a biologist with game and fish, there were, there was forever in a time to where the major north-south corridor in the western part of Arkansas is I-49. Right. That goes from Fort Smith to Fayetteville. Mm -hmm. Well, the previous corridor was Highway 71, which it runs parallel to, but uh, you know, it was it was further on in my career before you would even ever hear of a bear being west of Highway 71 or west yes. of I-49 corridor. Yes. And now, you know, there, th- that part of the, between the I-49 corridor and the Oklahoma state line, it's just lousy with bears. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it really is. Yeah. There are a lot of bears, yeah. and even in northeast Oklahoma, you know, in uh, some of their public land areas like Cherokee, uh, Cookson, and all that, I mean, <laughs> there's getting to be a pretty substantial bear population. Yeah, and we, on this podcast too, we've talked a lot about Oklahoma because I hunt over there, but yeah. I mean, their bears came from our bear, our Absolutely. reintroduction. Now, they would have had, that totally would have been in the bear's historic range, so bears were in Oklahoma. But Absolutely, and Missouri's seeing the same thing. South Central Missouri, they're they, you know, they're getting bears as a result of Arkansas bears dispersing. Yeah. So. Why are the so you know if you look if you looked at North America ecologically and you saw what was happening, the only the only, best way that I could describe it is whatever is happening seems to be beneficial to black bears. Well, you know, it really is. And uh, <clears throat> and what give, is it? I'll give you a prime example of it. Our Gulf Coastal Plain in the state is really a prime example of how the culture is benefiting the bear population. Okay. Uh, you know, and this is strictly just observation on my part as a biologist and working with bears in Arkansas for 20-plus years. Uh you know, historically in the Gulf Coastal Plain of the state, 
And when I'm talking about the Gulf Coastal Plain, if you just basically took a tip of a triangle being Little Rock and you drew a corner to the southeast part of the state and a leg to the southwest part of the state, that's essentially the Gulf Coastal Plain of Arkansas. And, you know, if you look back, say, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, it was primarily all timber company land. Uh, you know, it had plenty of soft mast available. There's probably enough hard mast available, you know, throughout certain regions of that state that could have sustained a bear population. But we just never really saw bears pull into it until probably 20 years ago. And uh, the thing that started happening culturally 20 years ago was, you know, a lot of the way people hunt changed, you know, 20, mm-hmm. 30 years ago. And it really started kind of evolving into a, uh, you know, more of a food plot slash feeder type hunting yes. style rather than a go out and still hunt, you know. Yeah. And <clears throat> that's one thing that, that, you know, I know. I mean, I can't prove it, but I know looking at how – that bear population has evolved over the past 20-plus years. I have no doubt in my mind what that has done is because you have people feeding on a landscape level. Year-round. Year-round on a landscape level. And this has been a cultural deal that's just kind of You think we baited them down in there? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we necessarily bait. I don't know if that would be an accurate I'm joking, but I'm with you. But what, what that has done, because culture has moved to yeah. that style of hunting, yeah. bears have indirectly benefited from it because what it has done is provided a annual food supply, yes. and it has taken submarginal habitat and turned it into marginal or even moderate bear habitat. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, bears can adapt to any forested type. Yeah. Uh, they don't have to have crevices to have dens yeah, and they reproduction. They can do it right on top of the ground. And... Uh, <clears throat> there's no flooding regime. Uh, where there is flooding, they have adapted to denning in tree cavities. Yeah. You know, like in the lower White River, Bio-Bartholomew area. So on the upland areas, you have taken an area that would have probably been void of food through most of the fall and it just okay. wouldn't have been suitable because habitat. it's all pine and a lot of people wouldn't know right. it, but i mean all that pine, right when you say it's all pine it's all timber company timber companies didn't manage land for hardwood there right. were always enough hardwood strips around through there to provide along a, the creeks that a riparian buffer along right. these creeks that's the way that world works down yeah. there so there'd be small strips of hardwoods yeah. along creeks and then big plantations. Uh, they have, you know, all these timber companies have always done, you know, well, always, but in the last several decades, they've done best management practices. Uh, they don't cut timber all the way up, so they had stream, riparian stream, uh, I forget what it's called, uh, streamside riparian zones or right, something right. like that. But anyway, they left the hardwoods along the creeks. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, that provided a little bit of hard mass to get through the fall. And uh, because these were 
typically clear-cut operations, you know, there's always plenty of hard mass or soft mass right, in the summer. Yeah. Soft mass more than likely wasn't the limiting factor. Yes. It was the fall food source that was the limiting factor through most of that part of the And now we've given it to them through bait and deer. That's right. I'll be done. So... Uh, Would that like area ever be you? you uh, that was good to hear you say that because I've thought about this. You know that being like subpar mm-hmm. habitat, which the difference between that and the Ozarks and Washtals, Ozarks and Washtals would be mature climax mm-hmm. hardwood forest through national forest that's not that's right. being cut very much anymore. What, Myron? Would that? I mean, they're like I was in Michigan a couple years ago and. I mean, they don't ha- hardly have much hard mast uh, in a lot of areas, a lot of big pines and pine mm-hmm. areas and timber areas, and bears do fine there. Would that Gulf Coastal Plain ever, I mean, would those bears ever adapt to where that is prime habitat even without baiting deer? I mean, I, I don't know if that's a fair, a good question, really. Uh, my opinion of it would, you know, it, it may be able to support a very, very small limited Okay, they've got to have that fall. They've got to have it. I mean, you know, that's the fall <clears throat> forage is really, I mean, that's what they use to to fatten up. To That's what the females have to have in order to get their bodies in a condition to go through and complete a gestation period, go into a den cycle, for four to five months, you know, completed so that gestation. projects them into the fall right. and into their major cycle. They have cycles. to have okay. that. And without that, you know, the males wouldn't necessarily have to have it, but the female segment of that population has to have that going into the fall. Otherwise, yeah. you're not going to have decent reproductive rates. You're going to have extremely poor reproductive rates. You're probably going to have extremely poor recruitment rates. Okay. And it, it just... It reverts back to that submarginal okay. habitat. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, really, I mean, in the fall, when there's a very limited food available, the males, you know, the males are going to dominate those food supplies. The dominant males are. Right. So they don't care if the female gets any food or not. You yeah. know, for them, it's survival of the <laughs> yeah. fittest. So if there's one little oak patch there that's dropping acorns, guess what? Guess who's going to own it? He's going to get it. He's going to own it. So, so uh, what kind of recruitment? So with with this added human cultural element, like what kind of recruitment? And that, that's what that's one of the studies that you guys have been doing the last several years. Yes, we have an ongoing study uh, that should have completed its field season, second field season this year. Unfortunately, we got flooded out. Uh, that part of the world uh, does flood frequently from the White yeah. River. Uh, system and the first year of our study was supposed to have been two years ago Uh, the first year of the field season got flooded out because half of our hair snare sites were underwater that's no good Uh, then last year we were able to complete a field season we were supposed to finish our second field season this summer we got flooded out again Uh, so right now the projection is to uh, finish our second field season next summer. Uh, and once the second field season is completed, uh, within the next year, we should have enough information to go ahead and start putting the season framework together. Uh, <clears throat> with a little bit of hesitation, you know, I, I, I'll make the projection that I'm hoping that we can see some type 
of season framework in the year 2022 okay. for the Gulf Coastal Plain. So that would be that would bring us to four areas that we have. Well, that's actually uh, right now we have Bear Zone One and Bear Zone Two, which is the Ozarks and Washita uh, Mountain region. And that's of the our state. big. That's our. Those are the big areas. Yeah, and then we also ones. have Bear Zone Five and Five A, which is basically okay. around the White River Refuge. It has a very limited hunt. Very limited hunt. Very limited opportunity. And then the Gulf Coastal Plain right now consists of basically Bear Zone Three. And Bear Zone 4. Okay. So, you know, uh, hopefully uh, within my career time frame, hopefully within the next uh, four to five years, you know, we'll have a bear season over. Uh, there's only seven bear zones. So yeah. <laughs> six and Bear Zone 6 and 7 are really yeah. up in the northeast part of the state in the Delta. And, you know, I don't ever foresee having a bear season in that yeah, part of the world. Yeah, it's just not but, bear habitat. But uh, really, in every other bear zone in the state, you know, hopefully by 2022, we'll have some type of season structure in place. Do you have any idea how many bears are in the Gulf Coastal Plain? We don't right now. We do know that we have a population. We do know that we've seen, uh, we have some collared females in the Gulf Coastal Plain. We've seen evidence of reproduction. We know that females are dispersed across the Gulf Coastal Plain. Yeah. Uh, We have... uh, citizen science evidence of that yeah. you know we have a site on iNaturalist if you live in that part of the world or hunt or have land or lease land in that part of the world we have an Arkansas black bear survey where people can log on to that create a log on name and they can actually download pictures on iNaturalist on the Arkansas black bear survey mm. and it'll give us citizen science information yeah. that's good stuff uh, and, you know, we do use that information. We do use it. We do look at it. And <clears throat> in a large part of that state, that's really the only means of reproduction information we can have See on it because it's all cubs. private. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we can't just willy-nilly go out and do these big research projects on a bunch of private land. Yeah. So that is one of our big limiting factors of being able to obtain data in that part of the world. It's hard to do. Yeah, uh, but we do know there's reproduction in that part of the state. Uh, I have uh, just from what I've seen, I think we have fairly low bear densities in that part of the state relative to the other areas of the state. Uh, but I think it's uh, I think we we you know we'll see through the research effort. I think we'll see that we do have a large enough population. I think we have a, a, a high enough reproductive rate that we'll. We'll definitely be able to have some type of season framework. Yeah. Well, that's exciting, and that's a—I mean—that's a win for conservation when your bears are. You know, spreading it really enough. is. I mean, you know, when you, when you look at Arkansas's history, just over the last thirty-eight years, when we opened bear season, you think, you know, well, back then it was just the Ozarks and the Washitas, and now, I mean, you're talking about you know, forty years later, having a bear season over virtually. Every part of the state that isn't just Delta Agri. Yeah. So it's it's pretty remarkable. It, it really, really is. is. I mean, you know, that reintroduction effort that Arkansas uh, embarked on in the 50s and 60s is, and I tell everybody this, you know, it's, it's still to this day, it's the most successful reintroduction of a large carnivore in history. Yeah. Not just here, or, you know, in the U.S., but anywhere in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's just... 
it is a it is a true poster child what good conservation strategies can yeah. do. Yeah. So it's incredible. Do you think uh what do you think do you think the bear is on the I mean where is the bear at in terms of the commission's level of attention? Is that a fair is that a fair question? Oh, I think it is. I mean, uh, you know, it certainly ranks up there in the top two or three. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, deer, deer's deer. Deer's yeah. king in any state. Yeah. Uh, and Arkansas is really no different. I mean, yeah. deer is king in Arkansas. Uh, when you're talking about game species and all that stuff, uh, whether it'll run a second to deer as opposed to turkey, I, you know, I don't really know. Unfortunately, we don't really have a system – <clears throat> a license system in Arkansas that allows us to, you know, cherry pick how many bear hunters we have in the yeah, state. We don't really know. I wish we really did. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and maybe someday we will. Yeah. Uh, but right now, our license system really doesn't allow Everybody us to. Everybody that has a resident Arkansas sportsman's that's license right. for $25 has a, has can a bear, bear. Tear. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And even, out, even uh, out of state, you know, uh, hunters, if they come in, if they're hunting deer, they have to buy the big game license. Yeah. Uh, you know, so when you buy the non-resident big game, then you get a bear tag. So, yeah. you know, you, we just – we have no way of knowing whether or not uh, the residents and the non-residents, whether they're coming in to bear hunt, whether they're coming in to deer hunt. Yeah. Uh, our license system just isn't set up for us to be able to pull that information off yeah. of it. But. Let, me, uh, let me ask you a couple of questions about the Ozarks and Washtaws and bear densities. I've always been curious about, and, and I, I've seen some of the data, but I wonder if you had any new data of actual, take take uh, the best habitat in Arkansas, and we don't have to tell them where it is. Me, <laughs> me and you both know where it is. <laughs> best bear habitat in Arkansas. What is a bear density per square mile? Or just, And I know it's not... You know, bear, bear home ranges overlap. I mean, I have people ask me this question, mm-hmm. and it's hard to describe because, I mean, bear home ranges overlap. So if you just drew a square mile, you said, how many bears are there right now? Well, maybe right now there's no bears there. But over the course of a year, there might be 10 bears that cross through that square mile. Yeah. But, like, how would a biologist describe bear densities? Well, I mean, you know, the population estimates that we get from our from our research will always equate it to square kilometers or a hundred square kilometers, and it's hard. It's it's really hard to kind of, uh, I guess, give a person a good feel of a bear density when you say, yeah. "Well, we have." two and a half bears per hundred square kilometers yeah. you know if we were something French, like maybe we'd yeah. understand that <laughs> or something like that uh, we need to speak some arkansas redneck here, yeah man. man converting it to uh converting it to square miles uh or some unit that would make sense you know you know i mean you if you take something like uh Something like White Rock WMA, which yeah. is part of the Ozark National Forest. It's 250,000 acres, roughly. Okay. And you say, how many bears do we have on White Rock WMA? Yeah. Or at least utilize a part of White Rock WMA. 
would it be a fair assessment to say maybe there were two or three hundred bears scattered across White Rock WMA? You know, it's, it's probably pretty fair assessment. Yeah. Uh, when you're talking about densities, I mean, uh, it's just one of those things. You can have localized, very high densities. Because of habitat. And then, yeah, a few miles away from that, you may not have any bears in that part of the world. Yeah. So. You know, when you spread it all the way across, like Bear Zone 1, which is basically the Ozarks, uh, you know, we think that we may have 3,000 bears plus right. across the Ozarks. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a fair assessment of our population, what we have going on right now. And so, and really when you're calculating densities, you're really just calculating densities from that study area, extrapolating that over a bigger area. So you take a you take an, a controlled area that you can really understand. Mm-hmm. Like White Rock. When they did the population work on White Rock in the late, what, 2006 to 2009, something like that. And then, and then, so you say, well, we pretty much have a good idea of how many bears are in this. Mm-hmm. And then you say, well, how much more habitat do we have that's like that across the Correct. state? And so, so really, when you get a population study, it's not like they went to every county and did. Oh this. no, no, it's, it is it's, it's far, far from an exact right? science. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you you know, you can take some of the variables out of it with the technology that we have now. You can do habitat rankings, and you say, okay, this White Rock has a habitat ranking of this. So it's really and with good. GIS, habitat. you can say, okay, where else do we have yeah. you know habitat that ranks this? Right. And if this habitat ranks. It is by no means an exact science. Uh, yeah. There is a lot of uh, uh, swagging that goes on. You let, me, know. let me ask. Let me ask it to you this way. This will be like a true or false okay. question here. <laughs> if you were standing in White Rock, mm-hmm. and you you and you and you were you had a bow in your hand and you were fixing to dive off into one of those big hollows, there could you could you say in the fall of the year? There's probably three bears in the square mile. I think that'd be probably safe. Okay. Yeah. Would there be or six? Maybe a couple. Okay. So that that's true. Your answer is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, true or false, there are six bears in the square mile. Probably not. Okay, false. Okay, so, so yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that's what I think about, Myron, when I'm yeah. bear hunting in National Forest. Get yeah, out of the truck. I always kind and, of envision this. I'm sitting there looking up this huge drain, and I'm thinking, boy, if I had one red dot appear everywhere there was a bear. You know, that's to me, that's what yeah, I yeah, think yeah. of densities. You know, that would give me an idea of density. But, yeah, if you're talking a square, I would I would say a square mile anywhere on White Rock because it is optimum habitat. It yeah. is national forest. Uh, I'd say there's a real good chance that within any given square mile on White Rock, you could have two to three bears. Yeah, I'd say that's good. I think that, that kind of gives a picture of, uh, of the density, which if you think about it from a deer perspective, mm-hmm. like coming from deer hunting, I mean, a bear is a low-density animal compared to a deer. So, I mean, you know, that's now, obviously there's not a lot of deer in White Rock because it's closed canopy forest, but, you know, there might be 15 deer, 10 deer in that square mile. Yeah, and the other thing to consider with bear is, you know, they may show up in that square mile, but one of those bears may show up in the square mile next to it as well. Right. You know, so to say that there's three bears that live – 
in that square mile? They don't. No, no, they, they don't. don't. They have their ranges are way too. Talk to me about bear home ranges for, for Arkansas because I've seen data from all over the country about you know in places where resources are sparse, like out west, mm-hmm. these bears have these bigger home ranges because oh, yeah. they're they're having to travel more. Right. Uh, but where resource is plentiful, which the eastern deciduous forest pretty mm-hmm. much is bear prime time habitat. Yeah. What are bear densities here, or, or excuse me, bear home ranges? You know, uh, home ranges, uh, I'm going to say your typical home range in the Ozarks or Washita's for an adult female is probably going to be maybe five or six square miles. Okay. And and realize that, <clears throat> and I tell people that the way to think about a home range of a bear is really kind of like this. That doesn't mean that they're the only bears that occupy that home range. And I tell people, just equate it to uh, an individual owning 40 acres. If you own 40 acres and have a house and a yard on that 40 acres, every once in a while, you may go over to the back 40, and you may kind of check it out. You may have a pond on the east side that you go fish. You may have this or whatever. and But you primarily live in your house and in right. your yard. Yeah. And that's a territory. And bears will have established territories within a home range. Okay. They may have a summer territory where they typically forage in the summer. They may mm. have a fall territory where they typically forage in the fall. Sometimes those places are right next to each other. Sometimes they may be two miles apart. Mm. Uh, So with bears, you have a lot of home range, and that 40 acres is basically all the resources they have available to them. It's where they would go in a given year. Is that right? Right. Where they could go in a given year. Of where they would go. If they had to go to the back corner of the 40 to get a drink, if they had to go to the front 40, corner of the 40 to go to a berry patch that was ripe yeah. or the bottom corner to get a you know a cherry uh, uh, bench that was yeah. loaded with cherries it's basically all the land that that bear can potentially go to to have access to food during the year and that home range could be overlapped by multiple oh other absolutely bears. So absolutely and people tend to think of, you know, I tell them White Rock's 250,000 acres. Well, an adult female's home range is four, five, six square miles. Wow. You know, there's only five bears on White Rock. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, no, it's not like that at all. You have several adult female home ranges that overlap. Right. You have multiple adult male ranges that overlap themselves and overlap multiple female what ranges. What about males? They're probably going to be at least half again bigger. Okay. Uh, you know, maybe 10 square miles. And where you will most see home range, quote, home range activity come into play is during the mating season. Yeah. Those males, males will probably sure. hit all four corners of their home range yeah. looking for those Now, females. you still get some wild ones that disperse really big. Sure. I mean, there's been, we talked about yep. The bear that went 156 miles into Oklahoma and got killed on the interstate yep. back in the 90s or whenever. Yeah, and you know it's not just the young bears. I mean, it, typically it is the sub-adult male bears that disperse, can disperse. Yeah, hundreds of miles. Uh, but you know we've had females with collars on them just pack up and move, hmm. and uh, it doesn't happen very often. Uh, but you know, for some reason or another, they just they just pack up and move. Yeah. Uh, 
But uh, what's the wildest uh, bear movement story that you've come across in 20 years in Arkansas? Can you think of one? I know we had one of our collared females show up a couple of years ago up on the Mingo National Wildlife, National Wildlife Refuge in southeast Missouri. Okay. I mean, at the time, Missouri hadn't even started their project. Mm. And it was several months after the fact. But anyway, I ended up getting in contact with someone that had a photo or someone that had seen a cinnamon bear on Mingo that had an orange radio tracking collar on it. Mm. How far did she go? We don't know. We were never able to get a hold of her. I was never even able to Where figure Where was out she what, collared? Who knows? I mean... She was collared by us in Arkansas. Oh, so you don't even somewhere. know. You don't even know who she I was. I don't even know which female it was. Because I guess some of them go missing. Yeah, kinda. some of them go missing. A collar will go missing. You know, uh, whether they're poached or whether it goes dead or you know okay. malfunction, something happened to it, and you have collars just disappear. I and see. I was never able to glean back through. I mean, there was no doubt when the bear was seen. The only state. Around within a yeah, it was your five hundred mile area was using orange radio collars. Yeah, and I mean it was obvious it was one of our collared bears. Now whether that bear was collared in the Washtaws, the Ozarks, who knows? Hmm. But it was collared in Arkansas, and we still to this day have no idea which bear it was or where she ended up at. Huh? So she may have come back. I mean, she, she may, may have. She may. She may she be may here have. now. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. I see. <laughs> so. Wow. But, uh, I mean, you know, when the collars have a limited range, it's, uh, if it was a satellite collar, it would have been different. But yeah. we've never used satellite collars. So. so we harvest about less than 500 bears a year in Arkansas. Is that about mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What's the quota in the Ozarks this 250 year? 250 for archery and then 45 muzzleloader, 45 modern gun. So we could kill as many as 350 something yeah 340 mm-hmm. 340 bears yep. which maybe we will i mean most of the time we would get pretty close to that wouldn't we you, you know the most of the time we do i mean even in years where there is good mast available you know it usually trickles through enough uh i think quite a couple of years ago you shot one you shot one on the last day of Very season. Very last day, <laughs> November thirtieth. So, I mean, you know, it'll just kind of trickle through yeah. depending on what the mass availability is like. If it's a really poor mass year, oh yeah, we're going to meet the quota. Yeah, uh, with, with and then effort. and then the Washitals they'll kill hundred to hundred and thirty. Uh, yeah, something like that. Probably a hundred to hundred and fifty. Probably. Okay. Yeah. So there's potential of five hundred bears, and they'll kill. 10 down in zones yeah. five and five a mm-hmm. so th- that's kind of the the scope of our of our bear harvest here in arkansas yeah and you know we're really looking at to increase that i mean <clears throat> you know for a for a long time there after the early 2000 study came out we knew we had more bears than than we thought uh, reproduction rates uh, we saw in 2007, 8, and 9, we thought we saw those drop. Well, we did see them drop dramatically uh, because right. of some environmental things. And we actually, I actually thought uh, that we would have seen some pretty far-reaching effects of that. And it turns out that 
It wasn't. It wasn't a near as dramatic effect as we thought. I it think was. it'd be interesting to talk about that just for a second. Sure. In that that was a fall. I mean, excuse me, a spring when there was total leaf out, and I don't remember all the dates, but I just want. It was say, Easter weekend of two thousand seven. So all the oaks had their tassels out. Yep. I mean, full leaf out, mm-hmm. and then we had a massive freeze. Yep, about two thirds of the state. That I mean, it was it was almost like Halloween, Myron. I mean, you remember it, it too. I mean, it was like everything all was this black. green, <laughs> and then everything went black. I yep. mean, it was almost otherworldly. And and you, fe- I mean, for so it killed all the mast crop, killed mm-hmm. all even some of the soft mast. It killed all the soft mast. It killed all the hard mast. And so you knew that that was going to, well, I mean, the projection was that that was going to massively impact reproduction. It was, and, you know, at that time we had actually removed the quota in Zone 1 because if people were barely meeting the quota, even on years when there wasn't mast available, when the bears were susceptible to harvest over bait, yeah. We were still really barely meeting our quota. Yeah. And <clears throat> so what happened as a result of that was we knew it was going to impact reproduction. We knew it was going to impact survival rates. But we didn't start seeing that, of course, until 2008 and 2009 because bears have a two-year reproductive cycle. Right. And, uh, you know, after 2009, after that data came in, you know, we realized, I mean, we went from having 80, 85% reproductive rates to 30% reproductive rates. Right. We went from having 80 to 90% survival or recruitment rates down to 25% survival right. rates. I mean, it was just hard. And, we, you know, we saw that coming and we thought, well, we have got to reinstate the quota. So in 2010, we reinstated the quota to right. provide a cushion on that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, almost a decade later, you know, I can look back at the at the dispersal information, at just the information we have on bears showing up in parts of the state where we just haven't had bears before. Yeah. And especially females with cubs showing up in areas that were, you know, really fringes of bear range before. And... Uh, you know, looking back on it, I mean, you know, we, I can say with pretty good confidence, I thought it was going to be a major impact to the population, yeah. and it turned out it wasn't even a speed bump. Wow. It's incredible how they can adapt and It, it really is. Back. And, you know, some of the things that may, that may have softened the blow is the same effect that's taking place on the Gulf Coastal Plain is more than likely taking place across Bear Range right. 1 as well, you know, feeding on the landscape level, yeah, yeah. deer feeders and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, outside of that, uh, you know, that been. impact may have been a lot more prevalent. Yeah. Uh, and But uh, at any rate, the end result is still the same. We, we still feel like we have uh, expanding bear populations in the yeah. Ozarks, in the Washita's, and right now, our current statewide uh, bear plan uh, dictates that we are trying to stabilize those populations. Uh, so, you know, ideally what we want to do is we want to harvest those bear populations at roughly the same rate of reproduction. Right. And so if instead of having 10 or 12 percent reproductive uh, rate, uh, you know, maybe we're having 15, 18 percent. Wow. 
you know, that's good uh, news for bears. Well, I guess that's a misstatement. Instead of having adding ten percent to your bear population, you know, in a given year, or twelve percent, maybe we're adding fifteen or eighteen percent right. to our population. Yeah, yeah. So, what we want to do is increase harvest rates to balance that out. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I do know that you know for the next regulation cycle. Uh, there'll be some proposals now, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't make the laws or the regulations I propose them, but I do know that, uh, I have proposed, uh, increase in the zone one quota. Uh, and you know, there may be, you and I've talked about this for years, going back to some things in zone two that may allow us to harvest more bears. Yeah. Zone two doesn't have a quota. Uh, it's really kind of a self-regulating yeah. system for the lack of a better term there's really only so many bears in zone two that are going to be accessible to being harvested uh because of the because distribution of, of private land that's exactly right would uh, the would a september because we had a september 15th opener for five mm-hmm. or six years mm-hmm. would that be a logistical problem because that's that's what we we're talking about well you know it wasn't really uh it wasn't really a logistical problem back then I think it was more. I mean, I guess the question would just be if we were trying to harvest bears there, reinstating that, would that be a. Because I know now it's pretty nice that we've got, I mean, from a management standpoint, yeah. regulations, st- to have the deer season open with the, with the, bear. With the bear season. Yeah. And what, you could, know, I, what are... could I do? Could I twist your arm <laughs> to get back our September 15th bear open? <laughs> uh, you know, those are just, those are uh, decisions on those types of things are really made, uh, you know, they're made by our upper administration. They're made by our commissioners. And uh, it's, uh, is it possible that, you know, we could, right. we could go back to that? Sure, it's possible. Now, yeah. whether or not we'll, We'll do something uh, as drastic as tagging gun onto the front of it because right. really that, you know, those were one of the things that really kind of hurt that early opener was it was so successful yeah. uh, that, you know, that's when we really started seeing the spike yeah. in females and the harvest rate right, right. Uh, when we added the gun. So, you know, if we, if we really feel that we need to address uh, population growth in zone two, is that something that we could certainly uh, consider? Sure. Just turn those bow hunters loose, sure, man. Sure, sure. <laughs> so believe me, I get asked every year. You know, oh, can that's we have the, that over Hey, <laughs> I, Myron, I, I had to say that for my people because everybody's like, you got to talk to Myron about getting the spank. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've talked about it so many times. You know, the, <laughs> the only thing that I say from a hunting's perspective is that if we could change the culture in some way, and I think we're doing it, where people are targeting those older mature males, which that's the ones we want to take out anyway. Sure. Boy, it's easier to take them on the 15th than it is later. Oh, yeah. That, Believe me, so I know. That's the, so if you, in a perfect world, if you could say, okay, guys, we'll give you the sef- September 15th opener. You shoot the big ones. Yeah. Don't don't shoot the juveniles and females that come in that are easy. And obviously you can't do that because there's new hunters and there's – Situations yeah, that arise where you know you let your kid hunt and you're not going to tell your kid not to shoot a legal bear. Right. You know, so, I mean, there's all these variables, but that's the one thing that I've seen is that boy, for those older mature males, you can 
they're 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 always hard to kill. Oh yeah, but they're easier to kill the earlier for whatever. Oh, there's no doubt for there's whatever no doubt. reason. But and believe me, nobody's heart's been broke more than mine when I yeah I hunt in zone one. Yeah, no <laughs> and doubt. So I'm susceptible to the uh, to the regulations to the of the game and fish just you. like anybody else. Yeah. And, you know, last year was a prime example. Uh, you know, I was so excited about it because I thought, wow, we're going to have everybody. Everybody in our lease, you know, I got six guys, and we're going to have everybody, man, it's just going to be perfect. We could potentially have every one of us have a bear on opening afternoon, you know, and two days before, the wind and the rain. Break your heart, man. (laughs) Those bears will break your heart. (laughs) They sure will. What's the the total shift of, of topics here? What's the biggest Arkansas black bear you've ever laid your hands on in research or or legitimately heard of? Well, uh, I've heard of some 600-pound-plus males being harvested uh, that I have physically laid my hands on. Uh, I'm going to say a 500-pound male. Yeah. Uh, when we've done research, uh, I've had people tell me they've shot males 500-plus. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure that I had one on uh, on a bait barrel last year uh, that would have pushed 500. Mm-hmm. Uh, that number is a pretty legitimate number. I mean, like, not everybody has a 500-pound bear, but there's enough know. that are killed, that yeah. are really weighed. That, I mean, that's yeah. they're 500-pound bears for uh, sure. You know, and the people that have that I've heard actual weights from, I mean, they went through the effort of weighing, you know, weighing yeah. them either on really big spring scales or taking their truck over yeah. some scales or something. So I feel it's pretty accurate. I mean, it, you know, if you think back to the reintroduction effort, our bears are descendants of their northern counterparts. Yeah. So they naturally are going to have the potential of being a lot bigger framed than our original Arkansas so? bears would have. Oh, yeah. Really? I mean, it's a, well, it's a rule of science called Bergman's Rule. Right. And it simply states that animals of northern hemispheres have larger biomass yeah. than animals of southern hemispheres. Right, right. You know, Further you get deer away from the equator. are bigger than, you know, Iowa deer are bigger than Arkansas deer. Uh, yeah. Minnesota deer are bigger now, than see, Arkansas I always deer. Thought that, I've always said that Bergman's Law didn't apply to bears because they denned in the winter, so they evaded that law. Because think about North Carolina bears. <clears throat> North Carolina bears are the biggest bears in the world. Yeah, those coastal bears. Yeah. And that's probably due to mostly their diet. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, really, I think I think the rule still applies, okay. you know, to some extent. Uh, I just think on average, you know, after bears evolve on a certain food type or certain habitat, uh, I just – I think Bergman's Law still applies. Okay, so you – so that's interesting. I, I, I wouldn't have thought that, that – those bears would be bigger framed than ours, so that's why we have some big bears that we do. Mm-hmm. Huh? I think you know it may not be as prominent. It kind of hurts me like as an Arkansan, Myron. It kind of hurts <laughs> me a little bit. <laughs> it may not be as prominent as uh, you know, like on deer. Of course, you know the perfect example is you know a, a Saskatchewan deer yeah. versus a Florida key deer. Right, right. absolutely. Uh, but I think there's, I think there's still a certain amount of that law that applies to all animals yeah uh, i don't think bears are completely excluded from it yeah well um conversation shift again before we started we started talking about um 
a question that you get asked a lot about, which is expansion into a spring season or running hounds. Mm-hmm. I want to tee you up for that because <clears throat> I get that question all the time too. People sure. are like, hey, why don't, we, do why don't we have this? Why don't we have that? I do what, too. The explanation that you gave to me earlier right. was a great – I thought it was a great – example of why actually the risk inside of that and I, i'm not i'm not gonna say i i hadn't decided if i fully agree with it but it's a good <laughs> it's a good a good point so talk to me about talk to me about that well uh i've given uh say i just finished up giving uh, six bear hunting seminars all across the state and it was really just bear hunting a to z in arkansas you know what to do on publicly and what to do on private and i got asked at every one of those seminars Right. Uh, I, I was asked, uh, do you think Arkansas will ever have a spring season? Uh, do you think Arkansas will ever have a, a hound season? Right. And, uh, you know, the kind of just a short abbreviated response I gave them was uh, probably not. Uh, and really, uh, you know, Arkansas is really fortunate in that we are uh, a very sportsman oriented state yeah uh you know we have a very very strong sportsman mentality consumptive user of the resource whether you're a fisherman whether you're a hunter uh but you know the consumptive component of the vast majority of our state is very prevalent and we're very fortunate of that and uh the reason why we are so fortunate about it is we don't really have a lot of backlash from anti-hunting segments of the population right. uh, because there are so many sportsmen in Arkansas. There's yeah. such a large consumptive component of yeah. our state. Yeah. It's still pretty rural. Uh, you know, a lot of places in the state, you know, most people don't have to go very far at all to go deer hunt. Yeah. You know, they may, but they wouldn't necessarily yeah, have to Even go that people far that are hunt. urban people, you know, the, our, the biggest city in Arkansas is roughly 250,000 people, Little right. Rock. So e- even, even those people that might be truly urban people that aren't hunters right. and stuff, they're always, this is my just anecdotal, mm-hmm. they're one step away from a hunter. Yeah, you know, th- their literally. uncle, their uncle was a hunter. Sure, their granddad was a hunter. Sure, and so they have some, and that heritage is they have it, some connection it, to it. It really is so insteeped in Arkansas's tradition uh, yeah. that we're fortunate enough not to have a large anti-hunting component in the state. And you know, some of the uh, some of the cons of having man- harvest strategies like a hound season or uh, spring season, uh, you know, it's just some of them can carry pretty strong anti-hunting uh, connotations about them. I mean, people hear about a spring season and, you know, maybe they're not necessarily an anti, but uh, if they hear about a spring season orphaning cubs, yeah. Uh, you know, well, that's just going to leave a bad taste in their mouth. So they may become an anti rather than, uh, and it's just, there's some, the cons that are associated with some of those practices would really probably outweigh the benefits of us instituting one of those. And, uh, primarily and- because 
We don't have to institute practices like that in order for us to obtain our harvest objectives. Right. And so that's what I usually tell people, and the short answer is, well, probably not, because uh, we're able to harvest enough bears in the state to keep the population healthy and sound without venturing off into those, right. for lack of a better term, I'm going to call them sideline harvest strategies, because your primary harvest strategies are always going to be a fall season, yeah. you know, on bears. Uh, but then you can have a sideline of spring or hounds or something like that. And most of the states that have spring seasons need those spring seasons to yeah. achieve their harvest objectives. Right. Or they need uh, multiple bears in a bag limit, you know, or something like that. Yeah. So, but I mean, the the true answer is we're able to harvest enough bears in Arkansas without fighting and, those and I think, battles. I think that's a good PR statement because people don't understand. And, and I mean, and I'm all for every legal method that falls in the scientific wildlife management to give Absolutely. people opportunity. So, in in my mind, in a perfect world, <laughs> guys could run hounds. We'd yep. have a spring season, yep. the perfect world. Yep. But the 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 way that you guys think, and 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 this is good, is a, is from a management position. Mm-hmm. Our job is to extract a certain number of animals from the population every year to achieve our management goals. That's right. And the current system facilitates that. Sure. And here's another thing about Arkansas that I think is important is that we don't have a long history of historic use practices because we didn't have bears in the state for That's 50 right. years. That's right. For real. Like in the Appalachians, mm-hmm. I've been going over there uh, yeah. and, and hunting with some guys with hounds. Mm-hmm. Incredible culture. Incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. those guys are some of the most dedicated sportsmen and Absolutely. best outdoorsmen that I know. They have on their side historic use. Yes. Because for 250 years they've been running hounds. Yep. And and because we didn't have bears, because there were absolutely guys running hounds in Arkansas back in the 1800s. I mean, there's oh, all yeah. kind of literature sure. of that. I mean, so yeah. like in some ways you could say, well, it is historic use because <laughs> we've been running. But there was 70 years where people forgot about it mm-hmm. and it was lost. Yeah. So that's the difference between us and say, the Smoky Mountains and the Appalachians. Yeah. Is that uh, we don't have that, because if, yeah, and I think that's a good point to make. And, you know, I mean, it would be a massive political jump for a game agency in this day and age to institute something like that. And I mean, and I, I, wish, I wish you would. Yeah. Uh, it, but I also realize the limitations of it. And I think it's good for people to understand the macro picture, you know, and, and I, it, I mean, it is. I mean, we're we're a state agency. You know, we're beholden to the uh, customers of the state. Right. So, I mean, that's certainly always going to dictate to a certain extent how we manage. You know, our game species. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, I mean, well, we're never outside of that. Uh, so. Uh, but I mean, as far as management goes, as far as the scientific end of it goes. Uh, you know, uh, the old expression, if, uh, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. That's right. So yeah. if we're able to harvest the bears that we need to yeah. under our current framework and, uh, it's working. Yeah. If it's and working. I think we're fortunate to be able to hunt them over bait. 
I mean, there's a lot of places well, where I they mean, don't. You know, that's a perfect example of, uh, you know, whether you necessarily agree with hunting bears over bait or not. We had to have that yes. as a harvest tool. Yes. Uh, prior to 2001, you know, all bear harvest in the state for roughly 20 years was basically incidental to deer hunting. Yeah. If you were out deer hunting, you saw a bear, you could shoot a bear. Did we probably killed less than 50 bears a year in the state. Well, it was getting on up there towards the 90s as the population grew. A few more. And yeah, I mean, you know, more people were seeing them, more bears are out there, you're going to harvest more bears. And uh, we were harvesting, you know, a decent amount of bears up until 2001. And, uh, but it was also, it was also pretty clear to the agency that by 2001 or by 2000, that our population was growing at a much faster pace than what our harvest rate was. And we knew we had to slow it down. So we knew we had to increase and, you know, baiting, whether you agree with baiting or not, I mean, that was one tool that that we figured was probably the most palatable to the consumptive and non-consumptive users of the state. And it was certainly probably the most effective uh, tool that we could use. Yep. And so, you know, we implemented it in 2001, and, uh, you know, I mean, you can look at our harvest chart and see what an impact it it's made working. from that very first year and still continues to make a huge impact. Yeah. So, uh, You know, Myron, we had a – I was on a, a a big national podcast two months ago, Yeah, and the guy wanted to talk to me. I know you don't listen to podcasts, or I'd tell you who it was. Steve Rinella is the guy I was on his podcast – we talked about baiting bears. Yeah. And, uh, you know, baiting bears is one of the most selective ways for selective harvest. You know, you're drawing in an animal. You got pictures of him. You know what's there. You can be highly selective. Absolutely. And, and, and Renella's response was that, honestly, it's one of the most ethical ways to hunt a bear in terms of shot selection. I mean, if you looked at it from a – and we talked about fair chase and stuff, and but – from a, even an ethical standpoint, about if ethics is dispatching an animal quickly, then geez, draw them into bait at fifteen yards. Oh yeah, there's and, no doubt about and it. And have mean, them stand still. And so I mean, there's there's mm-hmm. all these like really powerfully positive things, which I'm preaching to the choir talking to these guys about. Which it. Which I'm not really that selective because I love bear meat. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> as yep. long as I think it is a moderately mature or yep. mature adult male. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, You're so, gonna take him. Yeah. So. Well, I'm with you. That's good. <laughs> That's excellent. Well, hey. Anything that you'd like to say that we hadn't talked about? This has been really great. Thank you so much for. Uh, for I wouldn't being mind talking here. about this fall season a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, I get I get a lot of people asking me all the time. You know, what do I think the fall season is going to be like? Is the quota going to be met? Is it? Yeah, yeah, everything? yeah. And so, you know, that's one thing I always like to kind of. Whenever I have a platform, I like to kind of educate Project. people on, especially yeah. where it becomes pertains to Arkansas bears uh, and. Arkansas bear quotas in zone one or something like that is how closely tied to the mass crop it is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it is, it is so closely tied to the mass crop and you know this cause you and I have talked forever about this, but I could actually go back and look at the bear harvest every single year, all the way back to 1980 
and I could probably tell you, especially up to 2001, but I could tell you whether or not it was a really good mast year or whether or not it was a really poor mast year. It'd be kind of a little bit tougher to gleam out prior to 2001, but from 2001 to this past year, I could look at every year and tell you whether or not it was a good mast year. So a high bear harvest would mean low mast. That's correct. And especially if you looked at the timing of the bear harvest. Okay. Uh, Because, you know, I mean, we, we have harvest records by day, you know, when the season opens. And you could look at how that initial, like the opening day of archery season, roughly 80-plus percent of Arkansas bears every year are harvested with archery equipment. And so I could look at the breakdown of harvest through the duration of archery season, through the duration of muzzleload season, through the duration of gun, and I could tell you, you know, I could get rated on a one to ten. Oh, this was probably about an eight year for mass availability. Yeah. This was about a two. Yeah. And uh, it's, it is really that directly correlated to mass availability. Right. Because these bears, know, are, their bellies right. are full of acorns and they're not responding to bait. That's right. Yeah. And I tell people in my seminars and everything else, you, you really can't compete with eons of evolution. Yep. I mean, these bears evolved eating what Mother Nature provides. Yeah. And, you know, the only thing I can equate it to is if uh, if you've been fed, you know, filet mignon your whole life and uh, someone sets a, you know, a piece of burnt chicken down in front of <laughs> <laughs> it. Yeah. You need to eat this instead of your filet. <laughs> I don't know too many people that are going to go over there and eat that the chicken. The only reason you go eat that burnt chicken is if that <laughs> filet wasn't there. That's right. That's yeah. exactly so right. So the mass so, isn't there or is limited. And, uh, you know, I've had people ask me about projections on this year. Uh, you know, and the sad truth about it is it looks like it's going to be a pretty good mast year yeah. up, all the way across the Ozarks, not just at lower or higher elevations. Okay. It's pretty good dis- distribution of mast, uh, yeah. white oaks and red oaks both. And uh, it was, from what I've seen on the area on my lease and around my lease, it was, it's it's a good enough year that I didn't even bother uh, with it this year. Okay, you're <laughs> not even a, baiting? No, I'm not okay. even baiting this okay. year. I mean, it's a lot of work and everything else like that, and... Uh, you know, I have guys that come in from out of state and and hunt with me, and you know, I just told them, said, "Look, guys, it's it's even more money on their part because they have to buy the non-resident yeah. big game." And I said, "It's it's a lot of work and a lot of effort, and I'm afraid we'd all be pretty disappointed by yeah. the time opening day rolls around." So. Yeah, yeah. So you know, mass. I don't I don't expect uh, I don't expect I'm going to suggest that every every Arkansas hunter follows what Myron's <laughs> doing. Just don't even bait this year. <laughs> Just leave it to us, man. We'll take it from here. <laughs> so, but, you know, I tell people that, and, and but it's really, you know, it's really kind of, uh, it's really kind of what the availability is around their area. I mean, right. you know, these bears can travel four or five, six miles, yeah. maybe to a bait site yeah. uh, if there's no mast available. Right. Uh, so, you know, their little micro area of the world may not have any mast. If right. they're at a high elevation yeah. or caught a late frost, 
uh, you know, it may be a perfect year for them. See, so I'm, I tell people, really, I tell them, despite what I'm telling you, what I saw where I hunt, yes. you go out and do the homework where you hunt, take your binoculars out yeah. before the season and scout around. See if yeah. you've got a bunch of white oaks that have are loaded with acorns. Yeah. And if you do, uh, you know, your hopes of pulling that berry in after that acorn drop is... It's tough. Yeah. And we've got a late season opener which is that was major. another thing that just the way the cycle year, rolls you know, the with, way it rolls this year it was late now if the season would have opened the 22nd or 23rd like it did last year i would have probably went ahead and yep. you know took a gamble this is about as late as it'll ever get yes it is the, it'll always open, open the fourth saturday fourth saturday in september so current with deer it, it usually runs between the 21st mm-hmm. and the 28th yep. or something yeah but you know i've heard i've heard mixed reviews that validates what you just said uh-huh. in that I've I've got guys that are te- – I've had two texts in the last 24 hours where people say, where'd the bears go, Clay? You know, yeah. just like their yeah. bears are just gone. And they will do it that but quick. I've also got guys that are like, man, my baits are getting pounded. Oh, yeah. And so – and yeah. they're in different – I mean, just I think the regional – you know, just small area might differ. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I can't predict what everyone's regional environment, you know, within a five-mile radius of their bait sure. site. Uh, but I can just tell them what, I've, what I have been told, people I've talked to all across the Ozarks, yep. biologists, technicians, landowners. A lot of mass crop. Uh, there is a lot of mass this year. Yeah. And there's you know, a lot of white oaks specifically. The, the way and, that I deal with this emotionally, Myron, every year <laughs> – <laughs> is that on years with massive mass crop, yep. man, the bear populations are thriving because of it. Yeah. I mean, for real. Yeah. I mean, like you have a year with a bumper crop, mm-hmm. you're gonna have you're gonna have sows with big litters, you're gonna yeah. have males that are going in the den fat. Mm-hmm. And so it's I mean, it's kinda like you're you're buffering for that oh, bad really? year that you, you have. Yeah, I, I think about that from a you know, somebody that Loves bears. That's the way you got to think yeah. of it. Because if every year we had a terrible mass crop, we wouldn't have any bears. That's right. We would. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and uh, you know, like it, it, that that is the way. It may be a really bad year for bow hunters. You know that have bait sites, right. but those bow hunters that want to go find those natural food sources, hey, it can be a boom year for them. Yes. Uh, and you know, the bears is, it may be bad for, you know, for me (laughs) (laughs) over a hunting over a barrel, but Hey, it's good for the bears. There's no doubt about it. Uh, years like this, you know, can have lasting impacts a year or two years in the future. So it's always good. And, uh, you know, certain things, uh, if, if certain, if, some of my proposals are, you know, approved by our commission, then, you know, we'll start to see some liberalization of the harvest strategies for sure in Bear Zone 1, uh, probably in Bear Zone 2 in the next, you know, few years. So, yeah. uh, you know, we're, 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 trying to, we're trying to keep up with the growing times of our yeah. bear populations. Yeah. So. Excellent. Well, I'm grateful that we're in a state that uh, – Number one isn't a referendum state, not to dive too far off of it, but you know, a lot of these states, the game agencies are dictated not by commission, but by the legislatures. And, body, different, yeah. and sure. so you can get, you know, point being, uh, you know, say what you will about being governed by a commission. These people have wildlife in mind, they're hunters, 
the general mass population isn't what is yeah. making game laws, if I could or, most uh, simply put it that way. Yeah, or legislators making game laws. I mean, Based it, upon political stuff. Right. and, and yeah. it, uh, You know, I mean, yeah, there's sure there's pros and cons to all state yeah. systems, whether you're a legislative-governed uh, agency or a commission-governed agency. Uh, but, you know, it's been my experience that, without a doubt, the commission-governed Agency is by far and away can yeah. be the better way to go. Yeah. Uh, it's well, certainly that's a lot the, more reactive. I mean, you can yeah. get you can get things done easier, yes. a lot easier. <laughs> yes. uh, but I mean, we're still you know even though we have a commission, we're still uh, uh, the legislature keeps a close eye. Yeah, uh, you know yeah. on us, and we still have to have all our uh appropriations bill and all that stuff approved by the right. legislature of the state so uh but you know uh, we've been really blessed in arkansas to you know have really good commissioners and yeah. uh most of them are are sportsmen so they you know they have a real fondness like every other sportsman in the state for the resources yeah so uh it's 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 been working really well yeah well man the arkansas black bear and and now the Oklahoma black bear and the southern Missouri <laughs> bear and the eastern Mississippi bear and the northern Louisiana bear. Yeah. This region, you know, is it's a it's a special place and it's it's uh, I mean it truly is a world class wildlife resource that we have. You know, and it really is. I tell people all the time. You know, Arkansas is not only you know coming back into its own as the bear state, but you know, when bear baiting first took off in 2001, one of the main reasons why we removed the quota, uh, I believe in 2006, was because uh, in spite of having baiting, you know, bear hunting as a sport really didn't start taking off until right. people learned how to bait. Yeah. When people learned how to bait bears, that's when the culture really took yeah. off. So in the late, you know, 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, that was kind of the coming of age of yeah. the Arkansas bear hunters. And that's yeah. when people really started learning how to do it. And yeah. they thought, man, this is, you know, this is great. Yeah. You know, it was a great resource. It was a great tool to have. And people took advantage of it and they learned, they learned on it. And now Arkansas is truly becoming the go-to state to hunt bear in in the southeast. Yeah, I mean, I have more and more out-of-state bear hunters call me every year, and yes. and really one of their, oddly enough, one of their biggest, uh, I guess, complaints—not really a complaint, but one of the questions I get all the time: Do, do are there any outfitters? Yeah, <laughs> and that no is doubt. really oddly absent. Yes. In our in Arkansas is yeah. the absence of outfitters, and yeah. you know you and I both know all the issues that come with outfitters. Right. It's hard to gain that much land to have yeah. access to, but yeah. uh, you know they're and I just tell them, uh, man, just come down and beat the bushes, kind of like turkey hunting or something in Kansas. Yeah. You know, go yep. knock on some doors. Yeah, and uh, because we do have an absence of outfitters in the state, but. In spite of that, we are still becoming the go-to state yeah. uh, to hunt bears in the southeast, yeah. and I, I think it's great. Yeah, uh, you know, I love to see it. I love to, I love to promote the sport. I just, I just love it. I have a passion about bears, and always have. 
and I'll pro- promote the sport until yeah. you know until I retire. So yeah, well, excellent, man. Thank you, Myron. I really it's been appreciate my pleasure. it. Yeah. Hey, we always. I know you've never listened to the Barony Magazine podcast because I showed you how to do. I'm going to now. On though. Your phone. <laughs> but we, we, I this feel is, like I passed a technical milestone yeah, today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we just got to figure out how to get podcasts on an Android. But no, this is what we always say at the end of the podcast. We say, "Keep the wild places wild," because that's where the bears live. That's right. Thank you very much. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.